please pray with me. God of grace, let the words that are spoken and the words that are heard be blessed by you, the living word. Amen. Who or what do you worship? As you look around you in the world today, what do you observe? Who or what do you see people worshiping? We are here now for an activity we call worship. Worship is a regular activity and common concept for Christians, but we rarely examine what it means to worship. Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Paul then proceeds to tell the people of Athens a few of the things Paul believes he knows about this unknown God. I have felt particularly drawn to this passage this week. I could picture Paul making his way through the city of Athens. I could picture him walking up one street and down another, his eyes wide open to take in all the sights around him. In particular, he is noticing the objects of worship for the Athenians. I wonder, was he looking at these objects of worship the way an anthropologist might? It does seem as though Paul is having a cross-cultural conversation, acknowledging the religious practices and understanding of his audience, which are different from his own. Expanding from the scripture, I then picture any one of us making our way through the city of Davis, or maybe Sacramento, Maybe we've gone to spend a day in San Francisco, or maybe work takes you to Fresno. And as we make our way through the city or town or wherever we are, we go up one street and down another, and we look around us, taking in all there is to see. What objects of worship do we notice? You might answer that question completely differently, depending on what you think constitutes an object of worship. I posted a version of this question on my Facebook page last week and got an amazingly diverse collection of responses. In the Christian community, we use the word worship nearly continually, but we rarely stop to define it. My dictionary defines the noun worship as the reverent love and devotion accorded a deity, an idol, or a sacred object. The verb worship then means to perform an act of worship. What do we love reverently? What do we give our devotion to? What do we devote ourselves to? The root of the word worship is worth. So when we worship someone or something, that worship reflects the worth or value that that someone or something has in our eyes. So as we go through our cities or towns, as Paul went through Athens, how do we know that something is an object of worship? What demonstrates that we are devoting ourselves to one thing or another? What are the clues that tell us that something or someone has worth 
or value in our eyes. Aside from who or what we think we should worship or we intend to worship, I think the signs of this devotion or value can be found by looking at what we give the most attention to or what we give our time and our energy and our money to. As Paul looked around and got a sense of who or what the people in Athens worshipped, I wonder whether Paul was looking at things as an anthropologist might. In my seventh grade social studies class, the teacher taught a lesson designed to introduce us to something like anthropology. The lesson was so striking to me that I went home and repeated the entire thing to my mother, and I remember it now some 30 plus years later. Here's this illustration of anthropology that my teacher gave us in seventh grade. An anthropologist from India called Chandra Tapar made a study of foreign cultures, which had customs similar to those of his own homeland. One tribe in particular fascinated him because it reveres one animal as sacred, perhaps similar to how some people in India see the cow as sacred. The tribe Dr. Tapar studied is called the Asu and is found on the North American continent. Though it seems to be a highly developed society of its type, it has an overwhelming preoccupation with the care and feeding of the rack, the sacred animal of its people. The rack is an animal in much like a bull in size and in strength and in temperament. In the Asu tribe, it is almost a social obligation to own at least one of these animals. Anyone not possessing at least one is held in low esteem by the community because he is too poor to properly care for one of the beasts. Some members of the tribe, to display their wealth and prestige, may even own a herd of racks. Unfortunately, the rack breed does not remain healthy for more than five to seven years. Families invest large sums of money to care for their rack as the animal's health fails. There are medicine men in each community who specialize in caring for the rack. These specialists undergo a long period of ritual training. They go to great lengths to obtain the charms that will treat the rack. And in return, these medicine men demand costly offerings whenever a tribesman needs care for his ailing rack. In Asu communities, many youths undergo a puberty rite or coming-of-age ritual at the age of 16. The rack plays a prominent role in these rituals. The youth must petition a high priest. He is then initiated into ceremonies that surround the care of the rack and is permitted to keep a rack. Although the rack may be used as a beast of burden, it has many habits which be, would be considered by other societies as detrimental to the life of the society. In the first place, the breed is increasing at a very rapid rate and the Asu tribesmen have given no thought to curbing the rack population. As a consequence, the Asu must build more and more paths for rack to travel on, since its delicate health and its love of racing other racks at high speeds necessitates that these special areas be set aside for its use. Smoothing the earth for these paths is too costly for any one individual to undertake, so it has become a community project and each tribesman must make an annual offering to build and maintain the paths. 
The rack paths must be as straight as possible to keep the animal from injuring itself or others. There are so many paths needed that some people must move their homes to make way for the movement of the rack. Dr. Thapar notes that unlike the cow, which many people in his country hold sacred, the excrement of the rack cannot be used as either fuel or fertilizer. On the contrary, the excrement of the rack fouls the environment and is totally useless. Worst of all, the rack is prone to rampages in which it runs down anything in its path, much like stampeding cattle. Estimates are that the rack kills thousands of asu in a year. Despite the high cost of the rack's care and feeding, the damage it does to the land and the harm done by its rampages, the asu still regard it as sacred, as essential to their culture. Some of you will have heard this story before. The asu is simply USA backwards. The rack is car backwards. And no thanks to those of you who were laughing through it, which almost made me lose my composure. It only takes a slight change in how we view things to have a different perspective on the question of what it is that we worship. What are our objects of worship? In the diverse range of suggestions I received on Facebook and in other conversations through the week, some people suggested that Americans do worship their cars. It is true that as a society, we value cars so highly that we are willing to put inordinate resources into them and are willing to pay a great price to maintain their role in our society, a great price in the impact on our earth and the loss of human lives. What are the things we give the most attention and energy to? Some suggested that we worship sports teams or our cell phones. Some said Starbucks. How many people eagerly make a daily pilgrimage to Starbucks? These things and many more are the things we devote ourselves to, the things we pay the most attention to or give the most time and energy to. I was struck by the person who suggested cell phones. If worship is demonstrated by how often we turn our attention to something, then perhaps I am guilty of worshiping my cell phone. At times I give it an inordinate amount of attention. What or who do you worship? or to phrase it in a way that makes the application more clear, what do you give your attention and energy to? What do you give your time and money to? The second question for people of faith is, what do we want to give our time and attention and energy and money to? Getting back to the sense of worship as an indicator of worth or value, what do we want to value most? What do we believe and hope we value most, apart from the evidence we find when looking at where we direct our time and attention? I think one of the perpetual struggles of the human condition is to live lives that match the values we express, to walk our talk. Pondering the role of worship in our lives is an invitation to bring the reality of what we give attention to closer to what we hope we give our attention to. I wonder, how much of my attention does God get? Not enough. How can we live lives that demonstrate a continual worship of God? 
As Paul continues on, speaking to the people in Athens about some of what Paul knows about God, he says this, What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, is not served by human hands as though God needed anything, since God gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. God created people to search for God and perhaps grope for him and find her, though indeed God is not far from each one of us. In God we live and move and have our being. We search for God, even grope for God. And as we take a good look at what we worship, or look around us to see what we think people worship, this is not an invitation to berate ourselves or to judge others. As we go through our cities and look around us, we will also see everywhere reminders that point us back to the God who invites our devotion and attention. We see the beauty of creation and the profound kindness and devotion to service that humans are capable of. We see signs everywhere of the earnest efforts of humans to express and explore spirituality. Because even though much about God is unknown to us, we know God as designer of creation and source of compassion. We know God as the one who invites us to seek the presence and guidance of spirit in our lives. So let us continue to search for God, even grope for God, as we go through our week or go through our city. God is not far from each one of us. Let us keep our eyes open to what we worship with our attention and energy. And let us see also those signs calling us to give God our attention and our energy. Amen.